0: Welcome our Bulletproof Hygiene listeners to another week of our podcast. Today, we are going to talk about a pandemic, but don't worry, it's not the COVID pandemic. I think we've all heard quite enough about that to last a lifetime. This is one that we have been dealing with for a much longer time. And sadly, the numbers of patients impacted are growing exponentially year by year. This is a pandemic that we can actually make a big impact on, and it's that of diabetes. We want to dig into how we as hygienists can influence, support, and treat our patients with diabetes to bring better quality of life outcomes and facilitate total health and wellness. So I think a lot of today will be a review for us. Obviously, we've all been educated on diabetes and the correlations and um, what we need to know. But sometimes, you know, we get so busy and focused on all the little things that we have to do that, you know, some of these details kind of slip. So we want to do a refresher um, and just kind of take a deep dive today. So To get our brains around the breadth and depth that the role of diabetes can play in our practices, I want to just start with sharing some statistics. And these stats come from the CDC as of 2020 um, in the National Diabetes Statistics Report. And it says that 34.2 million Americans, just over one in 10, have diabetes. And then 88 million American adults, approximately one in three, have pre-diabetes, so this is extremely prevalent in our country. And according to the American Diabetes Association, half of Americans 65 and older have pre-diabetes, which means that nearly 25 seniors are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes.
1: 25 million, 25 million seniors. You said
0: 25 seniors. I just oh yeah. Thank you for that. That's a big difference. 25 million. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> And just as a refresher, I want to review, um, the differentiation between type one and type two diabetes, um, you know, the two main types, um, one and two in type one, which used to be called juvenile onset or insulin dependent diabetes, the body completely stops making insulin. So people with type one diabetes must take daily insulin injections or use an insulin pump to survive. Um, This form of diabetes usually develops in children or young adults, but really can occur at any age. Type 2 diabetes, which used to be called adult onset or non-insulin dependent diabetes, is when the body produces insulin, but the cells don't respond to the insulin the way they should. So this is called insulin resistance. And in response to this insulin resistance, the pancreas should make more insulin. But in the case of type 2 diabetics, this doesn't happen because these two problems, insulin resistance and trouble making extra insulin, there's not enough of an insulin effect to move the glucose from the blood into the cells. So type 2 diabetes is more likely to occur in people who are over the age of 40, overweight, and have a family history of diabetes, although more and more younger people, including adolescents, are developing type 2 diabetes. So why are we talking about this today? Well, we know that research has been really clear in showing a bi-directional relationship between periodontal disease and diabetes, which we're going to really get into shortly. But for the sake of understanding the needs of our population, let's remind ourselves of the latest stats on perio from the CDC that say that half of American adults have some form of periodontal disease. Mind you, this is from a study done from 2009 to 2010. We're 11 years past that now, and I think we would all agree, based on what we're seeing in our chairs every day, that the numbers are actually higher. In fact, in 2016, the Surgeon General reported that 80% of adults have gum disease, a fact echoed by nearly every medical and dental organization out there. In fact, there is so much gum disease in the world that in 2010, the Guinness Book of Records listed periodontal disease as the number one disease affecting mankind. So these are crazy stats. And when you look at the prevalence of these two conditions, we need to take into account the bidirectional relationship that exists between them. It really just makes a whole lot of sense that we have to look at the big picture. Far too often, I honestly meet patients that are diabetic that have no idea that periodontal disease is a comorbidity that can directly impact maintaining a healthy blood sugar level, having a strong immune system or preventing other systemic diseases. And I'm not kidding. Like this has happened multiple times where I'll have a new patient come in and we're going through their medical history and they, you know, share that they're type two or type one diabetic. And, you know, we'll start talking about correlations between oral health and diabetes and I have had multiple patients that have never heard before that, you know, you're prone to having periodontal disease or periodontal disease can impact your blood sugar levels. And it, it, to me, it's a disservice that's being done by physicians as well, that they're not sharing and, and kind of checking in on the patient's dental health. Um, But, you know, we kind of take that as just, we know that. So that's a fact and everybody knows that, but I have run into so many patients that don't. Um, so today we really want to talk about how to educate our patients on the relationship and help them take ownership and control over their health from a big picture viewpoint. So there was an article that came out in 2003 from Dentistry Dentistry Today, and it stated that the relationship between these two maladies appears bi-directional insofar as the presence of one condition tends to promote the other and that the meticulous management of either may assist treatment of the other. Both diabetes and periodontitis can stimulate the chronic release of the pro inflammatory cytokines that have a del- deleterious effect on periodontal tissues. The chronic systemic, eva- uh, excuse me, the chronic systemic elevation of pro inflammatory cytokines caused by periodontitis may even predispose individuals to the development of type 2 diabetes. And I want to say that again, because that's really important information. The chronic systemic elevation of pro-inflammatory cytokines that's caused by the presence of periodontal disease may even predispose individuals to the development of type 2 diabetes. So I think the role we play is so, so important in really helping patients understand What the weight of happening, what the weight of what is happening in their mouth can cause in other areas of their bodies. We know that mechanical treatment of periodontitis through scaling and root planing or surgical therapy, when combined with short term administration of therapeutic levels of tetracycline type antimicrobials can temporarily improve glycemic control in diabetic patients, especially in those with advanced forms of periodontitis and poor glycemic control before treatment. So knowing all of this, the question is, how do we as hygienists help our patients understand and take their oral conditions seriously? And I think the first thing we have to do is bring credibility to ourselves by sharing what we know and asking really great questions. And I think one of the best questions we can ask uh, when we're, you know, bringing our patient back and, you know, asking if there's been any medical changes, you know, are they, have they started any new medications? Um, any new doctor's findings, all those questions, I think when we discover or know that a patient is diabetic, that we ask, what was your last A1C, and when was that taken? Because that's going to tell us a couple things about the patient. It's going to tell us if the patient is regularly seeing their physician, and it's also going to give us a clue to their level of awareness of their diabetic condition. I also like to ask if they monitor their blood sugar levels at home, because, again, this is going to give you an idea of how concerned they are about their own health and if they are active or passive in that. Um, You know, I find that, you know, you have those patients that are like, hey, what was your last A1C? And they'll tell you. And then when you say, when was that taken? They're like, well, I haven't met in a while. That was a year ago. So you've got to dig and ask a few more questions instead of just asking what the last A1C is because we know patients aren't always forthcoming with all of the information, Um, but it helps us really kind of gain where they're at on the spectrum of caring for themselves and the awareness that they have. So when we ask these questions, it also tells the patient a few things about us as a provider. It tells us that we understand diabetes and the metrics that are important, um, that we're concerned about their total health, and that we know what we're talking about, which is so important in bringing trust and confidence. So I wanna just kind of dig into A1C, give us all a refresher and know what's considered normal versus when we should be concerned. So um, the A1C is a, we know is a blood test that helps determine if your diabetes management plan is working well. Um, both type one and type two diabetics take this test and it's done typically every two to three months to find out what your average blood sugar has been. Um, You may also hear this test called um, glycosylated hemoglobin, glycohemoglobin, hemoglobin A1c, and HbA1c. They're all the same thing, but most commonly, you're going to hear the A1c. Um, Essentially, this test can tell how much sugar is in the bloodstream by looking for proteins or hemoglobins, And when glucose or sugar enters the blood, it binds to the protein in the red blood cells. This binding creates glycated hemoglobin. And the more sugar in the blood, the more glycated hemoglobin. So it's important to test your blood sugar levels throughout the day. However, an A1C test gives you a bigger picture with a long-term average of those blood sugar levels. It really determines your average level of blood glucose over the past two to three months. So it gives you a better picture of just looking at one single day or, you know, if you've been really good for one week and being like, yeah, things look really good. This is looking at a measure of two to three months in time. So it gives you a better snapshot of what's really happening overall with the total blood sugar levels. Um, red blood cells have a lifespan of roughly three months and HbA1c blood test measures the amount of glucose that is bound to them during this period. So when we're looking at A1c levels, normal levels are going to range between 4.6 to 6.0 pre-diabetes, which is warning that someone may develop type two or have the beginning of onset of type one. These are, this is kind of the insulin resistant people. You're going to see that range from 5.7 to 6.4. Diabetes are, diabetics are patients that are going to measure 6.7 and above. And then the target range for adults diagnosed with diabetes and as as well as children is 7 to 7.5. Although I think a lot of my patients um, tell me that their doctors are shooting obviously the lower the better. Um, you know, I have a patient who's kind of been maintaining at seven for a while and every time he's like, yeah, we're really working. We're trying to get it lower. Um, but you know, it's, it's helpful to, you know, obviously you can Google the A1C levels and, and kind of print that out and keep that on the inside of your operatory, um, cabinet just to kind of reference that, um, until you're really comfortable with kind of knowing where those levels are as you're asking those questions. So when we're asking about patients checking their blood sugar, we should know um, what that looks like, too. We know that the levels we're looking at, if they're taking a flat, a fasting glucose level, normal readings for non-diabetic person is going to be 70 to 99 um, milligrams. And the recommendation for someone who is diabetic, you want to see that range between 80 and 130 If they're checking their blood sugar within two hours after a meal, the normal reading for non-diabetics is going to be below 140 milligrams. And the recommendation for someone who is diabetic will be below 180 milligrams. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between high and low blood sugar. So we know high blood sugar is hyperglycemia. Um, If your blood sugar levels are chronically higher than normal, then this is referred to as hyperglycemia. This is a common issue for those suffering from diabetes, obviously. The condition can also affect pregnant women who have gestational diabetes and occasionally those who are severely ill, um, people who've suffered a stroke, a heart attack, or had a really severe infection. So some symptoms of hyperglycemia include increased thirst, hunger, frequent urination, headaches, fatigue, blurred vision, and issues with concentration and or thinking. If severe hyperglycemia is left untreated, the condition can lead to organ and tissue damage as the excess glucose present in the body can make it difficult for the organs and cells to function correctly. The disorder can also impair the immune system response in the healing of wounds and cuts, and we know this. This is why our diabetic patients can sometimes really struggle with healing post-therapy or post-surgery. So this is why blood sugar levels are so important and and why we as providers really know where those are at and understand those before we perform therapy. Other severe symptoms of hyperglycemia include nerve damage, visual issues, kidney damage, and blood vessel damage. Mild hyperglycemia, depending on the cause, will not typically require medical treatment. Most people with this condition can lower their blood sugar levels sufficiently through dietary and lifestyle changes. Those with type 1 diabetes will require the administration of insulin, usually via injection, while those with type 2 diabetes will often use a combination of injectables and oral medications. So let's switch over to what is low blood sugar, hypoglycemia. And this is important that we recognize this as well, because you don't want a patient having an issue like this in the operatory and you need to know how to help them if that's the case. So hypoglycemia is a condition wherein blood sugar levels are too low. This condition affects a number of diabetic people when their bodies do not have enough glucose to use as energy hypoglycemia is commonly the result of taking too much of the medication prescribed to treat diabetes, eating less than expected, exercising more than normal, or skipping meals. So some of the symptoms of hypoglycemia include a pale face, unexplained fatigue, hunger, excessive perspiration, skin tingling, headache, trembling in hands and other body parts, blurry vision, and rapid heart rate. So the key to treating low blood sugar is to eat something rich in carbohydrates, such as a granola bar, piece of fruit, um, drinking some fruit juice, having some cookies. Um, If you begin to show any of these above mentioned symptoms, those who have low blood sugar are often aware of this. And we'll tend to carry something to eat on them in case of a hyperglycemic episode. And I feel like most of us will have, you know, some sort of snacks in our, in our practice. Um, I know we have a little cafe when patients come in um, that we have some of those, you know, granola bars and uh, protein things and um, pretzels, those kind of things that we could quickly get to them if patients are having an episode. Hey, Bulletproof Hygiene listeners, we have some big, exciting news. We are proud to announce that our 2022 summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee, June 3rd and 4th. Come join us for a weekend of growth, learning and collaboration. We'll be taking deep dives into team culture, leadership, hygiene systems and patient care and education that bring fulfillment, career success and practice profitability.
1: This course has the potential to change the trajectory of your career and help you practice at the top of your game. If you missed us in 2021, trust us, you don't want to miss this. Visit bulletproofsummit.com to get all the details and observe your spot. We can't wait to
0: see you there. So we know what levels should be and can ask more questions of our patients when they are sharing their information. And as we ask, we can gauge how invested a patient is in their health and awareness of their condition. I find that many of my diabetic patients aren't aware of the impact that diabetes can have on their oral condition and vice versa. And it's really, really crazy to me. So I recommend spending some time explaining the correlations so your patients will understand why you are making the recommendations you are and to help remove shame and blame. And this, you know, we talk about this all the time and I think it's really important. You know, we've got to understand that a patient is coming in with an existing systemic disease already, right? Um, there is unfortunately, I think just culturally kind of some shame and blame involved with diabetes sometimes, and, you know, oh, you're not managing things well, you know, you're struggling with your diet, you're, you're having too much sugar. Um, you know, there's a lot that can go with that. And I think equally, sometimes patients leave with a feeling of shame and blame from, you know, the practice feeling like, oh, you didn't floss enough. You're not doing enough home care. You're not doing enough. You're not following the, you know, the recommendations. And, you know, that's, I don't think that's any way to empower someone is for them to, you know, to just kind of get on them like, hey, you're not doing enough. Because in the department of diabetes and periodontal disease, sometimes the patients can do everything right. And there's still an issue. So I think we have to remove the shame and blame. And we can do that by really helping them understand how these two issues correlate.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, if our end goal is to motivate the patient to have better health and we're willing to come alongside them and kind of do whatever it takes alongside them to get them there, then like the shame and blame has to be gone. And if, and if our end goal is to get them to be as healthy as possible, then we have to consider like, okay, what in the process can I do to make it the most likely outcome that that's going to happen. Like anytime someone tries to think about in the past, anytime someone has tried to shame you or manipulate you or, um, you know, scare you, use fear tactics, whatever. Like those are not the effective things that have brought about actual change in anyone's life. Like probably it works in some cases, but clearly not if we have this ongoing relationship with these patients who have a health condition, you know, right? and like, you know, Charissa just said, in, in really almost any disease process, like there is, we know this just, just like with periodontitis, like there is a portion that is influenced by genetics, there's a portion that's influenced by the person's home care habits and their stress level and immune health and all the things, you know, local factors, everything. Right. So it's not completely in that patient's hands. Like it's, it's never completely in anyone's control, even ours. So it's like, if we are projecting that onto them, like you should have controlled this, you, you, you have to do this. You have to like It's not going to make a difference. So we're not meeting our, we're not, we're not getting to where we want to be with the patient. We're not getting them to where they should be or where our goal for them would be. Right. right? Anyway, so there's no reason really to shame or blame. I think in healthcare, it can be easy, especially if you've been in it for a decade or so, like to lose the empathy and just start kind of generalizing because we always are putting together all the pieces of the puzzle that we talk about constantly, so like the piece of the medical history, the dental history, the person's experiences, their emotional health, all the, all the things that they can come in with, their chief complaint, chief concern. We're putting together all those pieces of the puzzle, but I think the longer that you practice, the more you tend to impose other people's pieces onto all the patients, right? (laughs) Like we we start generalizing because we see patterns. So really, really important that, that we're aware of that. I find myself doing that sometimes and I'm like, wait, this doesn't have to do with this person. This is from the past 10 patients, maybe, but not specific to this person. And we've got to, you know, treat, we treatment plan according to each person's specific needs and their specific presentation. So it can't be any different when we're making recommendations and educating the patient because it is specific to them.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think on the flip side of that, we've seen this a lot where we may not be the ones bringing shame or blame. The patient may come in with that already. Yeah. You know? a good point. yeah like they're already struggling because think about it. How many times do you get a patient back in your chair and you know, you're know you saying, how are you? You're asking about medical changes, anything dentally going on you've noticed. Um, and you know it's like all of a sudden it's immediate confessional. And they're like, so I just need to tell you, I haven't been flossing. Mm -hmm. And they're like, they already have this like shame of like, I'm not doing what I should be doing. Like, I'm like, you're cool. It's good. Life happens. So I think they come in sometimes with their own shame and blame and their own weight of like, oh, I just can't do this. I can never do enough. I'm working so hard and it's just not changing thing. Or I had a patient um, yesterday, actually, who really tends to take great care of herself. Um, but yesterday, uh, she had some inflammation and some pocketing and some bleeding that we haven't seen before. And I just started asking questions. She's like, uh, you know, I'm usually so good about taking care of myself, but I've been some through some really personal, like stress stuff in the past three months. And i just kind of haven't been taking care of myself and I can tell, and I can feel it. And, you know, she didn't understand that, you know, stress like that can, can manifest in the mouth. So she was really kind of floored by that, but I think so many times patients come in with like, yeah, I haven't really done what I'm supposed to do. Life's been crazy. And, you know, I said, this isn't about COVID and it's not, but COVID has made life exponentially more stressful for people, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think helping not only not creating shame and blame from our perspective, but helping take it off their shoulders. And what I mean by that is when we can help patients understand these next points, they start to realize, oh, okay, so this isn't just like a me thing. This isn't just a home care thing that I'm not doing enough. There's actually scientific evidence of why this is so bi-directional. And now I understand, again, it's not a shame and blame that I'm not doing enough, but it almost motivates me. Okay, I know this is, I'm already kind of set up for some issues. Let Mm -hmm. me do everything I can to keep myself from getting there. But at the same time, not beat myself up if it doesn't work out because I can't control all the things. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So points like... Periodontal disease, we know, is a chronic inflammatory condition that impacts the body's ability to control blood sugar, thus making diabetes really difficult to control. So I have this very simple statement that I say to patients like, hey, when you have diabetes, we know that your number one concern is managing your blood sugar level. You know that anytime you have active infection going on in your body, your body recognizes that, says, whoa, we got to take care of this. We got to fight this. And it actually releases more sugar into the bloodstream because it needs that glucose to fight the infection. So when you have an active infection going on anywhere in your body, your blood sugar level is going to be much harder to maintain because your body's pumping out more to help you fight. So this periodontal inflammation and infection that we're seeing today is is preventing you from maintaining your blood sugar levels. So if we can work hard together and get this under control, I bet you're going to see a big increase in the health of your blood sugar levels and your glucose levels. So letting them know that diabetes can reduce saliva production and cause dry mouth, which increases risk for gum disease. So again, it's one of those things. Sometimes the medications they take, sometimes just the diabetes process itself can create some dry mouth issues, which as we know, can lead to perio issues. Um, High blood blood sugar from poorly controlled diabetes can increase oral bacteria and contribute to an increase in plaque and calculus buildup. So again, it's that bidirectional. If the blood sugar is off and we're uncontrolled, all of a sudden we have more bacteria because we've got more sugars hanging out in the saliva, in the mouth, and that's going to increase buildup and plaque. Since diabetes makes it harder for the body to fight infection, gum disease may be more severe and harder to treat and maintain. And then we know that the treatment of periodontists in diabetic patients favors a reduction in mediators responsible for the destruction of periodontal tissues and decreases with it a resistance to insulin. So it all just fits together. Crazy, crazy. Um, there was an interesting article um, that came out of Cedar Sinai and yeah, yeah.
1: Sorry, go ahead.
0: Um, and it was on what causes gum disease in people with diabetes. And they found that diabetes, we know, causes blood vessel changes. So the thickened blood vessels can reduce the flow of nutrients and removal of waste from, from body tissues. And this reduced blood flow can weaken the gum and bone. So this puts them at a greater risk for infection. Diabetes that is not controlled well leads to higher blood sugar levels in the mouth fluids, and this promotes the growth of bacteria that can cause gum disease. On the other hand, infections from untreated periodontal disease can cause the blood sugar to rise and make it harder to control diabetes. And then also if we throw an additional factor for our diabetic patients who are smokers, Um, We know that it's even more harmful to the oral health for those specific patients. Um, But a person with diabetes who smokes is at a much greater risk for gum disease than a person who doesn't have diabetes. So these, all these related factors together with poor oral hygiene can lead to periodontal disease. So I feel like once a patient understands all the connections and why it all matters, they're more likely to take ownership. And then follow your treatment and home care recommendations. And because patients with diabetes have a harder time fighting infection and a harder time healing, it's a good idea to be sure that they are in a safe place medically to perform treatment. Things like non-surgical periotherapy or surgical procedures. If they require extractions or placing implants, we've got to know where their blood sugar levels are prior to procedures. Um, And, you know, it's, it's an easy and smart way to really protect our patients and ensure the best treatment outcomes for ourselves. So there, uh, the American Dental Association actually um, established a um, quick guide for monitoring blood and glucose and HbA1c levels within the practice. Um, the ADA published this guide to educate dentists and others in the dental community on coding for two unique in-office monitoring procedures pertinent to this chronic disease. And the procedures reported with these codes can help dentists better manage patients with medical comorbidities by assessing their condition chairside. So if you're looking at what kind of equipment you might need for this, um they the dentists are not expected to diagnose diabetes obviously you you know that already but the by doing in office monitoring of patient blood glucose levels on an ongoing basis or immediately prior to treatment um it's just a really smart thing and you can really just utilize the fingertip measurement tools um neither of the two cdc code entries specify the measurement tool used for the procedure um selection of the appropriate tool is determined by the dentist And there are federal regulations to consider. So laboratories and providers performing in-office testing are regulated under the Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendment of 1988, also known as CLIA. And the dental office may require a CLIA certificate of waiver in order to perform blood glucose testing using the CLIA wave test kits. Wave test kits typically include systems cleared by the FDA for home use and providers providing patient testing with CLIA certificate of waiver must follow the manufacturer's instructions and perform testing only with test kits that have been assigned um, a CLIA wave status by the FDA. So if this is something that your practice thinks, you know, is a good idea and you want to look into doing this, then knowing what levels you need to look for is important. So a glucose level between 70 milligrams is the clinical definition below 70 milligrams, sorry, is the clinical definition of hypoglycemia, which is an alert level. And that means the patient is at risk of a hypoglycemic event during the procedure. Therefore, the procedure ought not to be initiated until the patient's blood sugar level is in the acceptable range. A glucose level over 300 milligrams could lead to to delayed healing of the surgical site and severe infection, This suggests that elective surgical procedures be rescheduled and delivered when the patient's circulating glucose level is in the acceptable range. Information on in-office recognition of and action on diabetic emergencies, whether it be hypoglycemia or hyperglycemia, is in the ADA publication, um, the ADA Practical Guide to Patients with Medical Conditions, um, page 82. Um, So, you know, obviously technology's come a long way. We now, I'm seeing a lot of patients, especially your type one diabetics who tend to have the pump, um, or the patients that now wear these patches. And it's really cool because that technology syncs up with their cell phones. So they can pull up on their phone right away what their current glucose levels are. But I think this is something we need to think about and be mindful of, um, when we are considering doing surgical procedures monitoring if you've got a patient who's under sedation for a long period of time, being able to monitor those levels and make sure everything's stable. Um, Or honestly, for us, as we look at performing NSPT or scaling and root planing, because we need to be aware of what those levels look like for ensuring that the patient is, is okay while we're doing the procedure when they leave our practice, but also that they're in a really good place for healing, because obviously that's what we're really interested in is helping this patient get healthy. So this is honestly not something that we have done in our practice as far as checking their levels, Um, but it is something that I want to kind of think toward because we do a fair bit of surgical procedures and we do obviously a lot of NSPT. Brittany, is this something that you guys have done in the past? Do any of your providers check in office?
1: So I think that in surgery, I think that they do, I would, I would assume so because we do sedation, um, Mm -hmm. cases and I think that that's normal, just to make sure there isn't a hypoglycemic emergency. Um, but we do not in the hygiene chair. I remember a couple of years ago at AOSH, uh, Ashley and I, Ashley's one of our hygienists, um, went with you and me and your hygiene team. Right. And a couple of my hygienists, and she was really interested in a uh, finger stick yep. um, measuring blood glucose, I think is what it was for yep. um, chair side, because it, it's a great screening tool. So, just yep. like you know, we're not responsible for diagnosing, but screening yes. is always a very, very valuable thing. It's just like we screen for obstructive sleep apnea, even if you're not the one who conducts the sleep study, obviously, very invaluable tool, and you can store for that person to an ENT. And because this is such a worldwide. Pan, obviously pandemic, like yeah, it's a yeah. huge issue. And when, yeah. when we were prepping for this, what I was reading is that I think India has the highest um, prevalence of this. And in a lot of Asian, you know, countries and like over in that area, of the world is the highest. Um, and I was actually surprised that the United States was not the highest, but that's just, that's a little more alarming even because I think in the United States, the numbers are are off the chart. So it's something that I definitely like to start screening for and get more information. Um, but when we were prepping for this podcast, I sent an email to Ashley, ironically, with a lot of this information and said, Hey, I remember you were interested in, in this uh, screening tool. Do you want to investigate it? And she said, yeah. So I think we're going to investigate it and see kind of if it's a good thing to bring on board. It sounds like it is a, a good thing and a necessary thing.
0: Yeah, I actually. What's interesting is Ashley and I took that specific class together, and we yeah. checked we checked each other's blood sugar levels that day. So that that I remember that. Um, so yeah, I'm going to have to hop in on what what she gleans there. Um, yeah, she's, I, she's actually she's getting a, a nutrition degree yes. right now, so
1: she's very very excited about this. Yes. Sort
0: of thing. Yeah. I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. So I want to shift a little bit about how we treat perio in our diabetic patients. And we believe it starts again with asking the right questions. So we already covered asking about their A1C and their you know, current blood sugar level and how often they're checking that and, and those sorts of things. Um, but I think there's some other really telling questions that that will help us really assess what's going on and help us connect with the patients. And questions are so important because it's not you talking it's the patient talking. And for those of us who've ever been in any sort of therapy, um, I feel like a really good therapist asks great questions and then you answer them. And as you're hearing yourself say it, you're like, oh, oh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's Mm -hmm. kind of that that own self-recognition of like, Got it. Now I know what to do with this. Yes, so, it's different
1: than being told. Yes, you are saying, you are telling yourself. Yes, you know you yes. can't deny anymore. Yes. Like this is the
0: answer. Yes. You're,
1: you're saying it to someone else.
0: Yeah, and it's your own information. Like it's right. your story. It's your. So uh, I want to think about some questions we can ask that'll help a patient start thinking through this and answer their own questions and kind of come to their own place of ownership and. And what they want to do with this. So um, I like to always ask, you know, when was your last physical or doctor's visit? What medications are you taking? And have those changed in the past year? And I feel like when you have a patient who has a different diabetic diabetes medication, that tells you typically that they're kind of struggling with keeping things under control. And patients, you know, once you say, oh, you know, that's different than what you were taking last time. Tell me about that. Mm -hmm. you know, they'll kind of share with you, yeah, well, we were having a hard time maintaining my A1C or that one, you know, I was having a reaction to that one. And they start to talk more. And that tells you like, are they actively working with their doctor? Are they on top of this? Are they taking it regularly? Do they know what's going on? And that's really, really important because we know this, that the patients that are more aware of what's going on and are more mindful of that are going to be more open to what we are presenting and trying to collaborate with them then on. If they're not really invested and they're not checking their blood sugar and they're sometimes taking their medication, um, you know, not that we can't help them learn and grow, but they may not be as open to what we have to say. And that kind of tells us we've got a little more educating to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to always ask, and I ask all my patients this what's your current home care regimen? How many times a day are you brushing? Are you flossing? Are you using a water pick? Um, you know, that I like to ask that question before I ever even lean them back so that when I get them back and I see, if I see issues, I can correlate that to, you know, I know you shared with me, things have been crazy and home care hasn't been as great. You know, I want to encourage you. Let's see if we can get back on track with that, because obviously it's so important that we try to manage this biofilm for you because we know what an impact it can have on your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to ask if they see bleeding or feel tenderness when brushing or flossing. Again, that tells us, you know, and, and it tells them too. And they're like, yeah, you know what? I have been noticing some bleeding and we can share, you know, that's, that's not a normal condition. And that tells us that's n- no pun intended, but that's a red flag. So let's, mm-hmm. let's get to the bottom of that. Um, are they experiencing dry mouth? Do they have any history of periodontal treatment or any family history of periodontal disease? And I always say to patients, like, I know it's not common dinner, dinner conversation to talk about, you know, periodontal disease, but sometimes patients do know, oh, yeah, you know, my parents were dentures in their 30s. And I know my, you know, my mom's been working with a periodontist for years because we know there can be that genetic predisposition sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then definitely asking, you know, what's sugar intake and processed foods been like for you lately? Um, because that is, has such a huge bearing, um, on, you know, what those glycemic levels look like and, and how they're managing things. And we know we see that, that impact on patients, you know, patients love it when I get in their mouths and I look around and things look amazing And I'm like, do you have a pretty clean diet? They're like, oh, yeah, I like do whole 30 and I rarely eat processed foods. And and you can tell. So when you see, you know, that things are kind of out of control, it's important to ask, like, hey, what's dietary intake been like lately? So and I think just getting like I said, getting answers to these questions tells us a lot and making it more of a dialogue and a conversation conversation gets them thinking about it and asking and understanding the, the, the connections. And again, it just brings that ownership and awareness. So, you know, Brittany and I are always big fans of co-discovery. So whenever you're doing your assessments, whether it's periodontal charting, taking photos and showing those, showing the x-rays, Just getting your patient as involved as you can on what is actually happening, you know, letting them see the redness and the puffiness in the gums. I love the iTero scan because you can see it everywhere and, you know, really kind of turn it and show them all the angles so that they can see, oh, wow, I, you know, I can't see all the way back there on the buckle around the gums, but on the iTero, I can. So just really helping them see and understand what's going on is so, so important. And since oral pathogens are especially dangerous in the presence of diabetes, we've got to talk about thinking about salivary testing. Um, And I would say at least annually on our diabetic patients to really monitor possible risk factors and be sure we're truly maintaining health. I think for so long and honestly, with this epidemic of of, uh, pandemic of diabetes, um, you know, it gets easy to be very reactive and be like, oh, now we have bleeding and inflammation, and we got to treat this. But I would love to see us embrace the mentality of being proactive, and really, truly helping our patients maintain health. So not waiting until something happens, and then being like, oh, let's see what's happening. I almost think proactively doing an annual salivary test, or maybe even every six months um, to say, hey, what do we have going on here, we want to make sure we don't have any risks that are going to put you, you know, put you at risk for having issues with the diabetes. Um, I think it's a great idea to do pre and post um, salivary testing just to ensure that we have had effective treatment. Um, and it's also just a really great motivator for patients to move forward with treatment and practice meticulous home care. Because when they see that report for themselves and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is in my mouth. What do we need to do about this? I want to take care of this. And it also builds that uh, resolve on the home care front to be like, I want to make sure this isn't coming back or, you know, this isn't repopulating. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there for our listeners. There's a new salivary testing company that's out that is super exciting, um, it's, it's really affordable. It's called HR five, you can Google it. Um, I think it's a transition we're going to make in our practice this uh, in the new year. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of oral DNA, and we are going to continue to use that because they have some really great testing as well when it comes to genetics and HPV and um, all of that. But this HR five is really looking for the, um, high, the four high risk pathogens as well as FN. Um, and you know, if you go on their site, all the research is there, but they're finding that if we can eliminate those specific five pathogens, everything else is pretty much falls away because those are, those are kind of the gangbusters. Those are the ones that run the show. And the thing I like about it is it is much more economical. Uh, the fee is $68 to do a test. So a whole lot more practical for doing before and after tests and offering that to our patients more frequently. So check that out. Um, obviously we know that frequent recare, care care intervals are imperative. And again, when the patients understand the why behind it all, they're better about keeping those appointments because Brittany, how many times have we had patients say like, I have to come see you three months forever. And you know that, that, uh, that, you know, when they really understand why. And I have a lot of patients. I have a diabetic patient now that I've been seeing for 11 years Mm -hmm. and I see him every six months because he's maintaining everything so well. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that that's forever and ever, but you know, and you can set that goal in front of them and say, Hey, I do have some patients that I see that we're maintaining really well. It doesn't mean that it's happening forever, but I'm not willing to compromise your care. And I don't want to let things slip here. So yes, let's do three months for a while until we know that we're really stable. Then maybe we jump to four and see where we're at. You know, it's, it's not like a a life sentence, but at the same time, I want that patient to know that I am for them and I'm not going to, you know, let them be, be at risk under my watch.
1: Yep. Not under Sharice's watch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, because of the poor healing factors, um, I think that it's really important that we think critically about our treatment plans in the scenario of diabetes. So especially if you have someone with uncontrolled diabetes, um, if you got a patient with a really high A1C and active infection, Salivary tests are definitely indicated, and you also may want to enlist systemic antibiotics based on that testing prior to doing an SPT, or, yep, you know, we're going to talk about it, uh, use Perioprotect to knock down those pathogens prior to doing an SPT. Um, And I want to share details of a documented case performed by Dr. Tim Pranger um, to demonstrate what Perioprotect can do for not only the oral flora, but honestly, more importantly, for the A1C. Um, and I have seen this anecdotally in my own practice, but this case is just really, really cool. So I'm going to run through it really quick. So Dr. Pranger had a new patient uh, present for a limited exam. He was in pain on the lower left, and this guy was in his early 30s. Um, he was type 2 diabetic and a recent history of heart attack in his early 30s. Upon clima- clinical examination and radiographs, uh, it was discovered that 18 was severely decayed and broken and was not salvageable. There was active infection abscess in that tooth. Um, and the comprehensive exam revealed heavy generalized plaque and supra and subgingival moderate to heavy calculus. Radiographs displayed early interproximal bone loss, horizontal. Patient exam- periodontal examination showed generalized four to five millimeter pocket depths with 100% bleeding on probing. Due to the extent of the infection and the patient's A1C, which was a 9.3, Dr. Pranger decided to treat initially with perioprotect. Well, let me say this. He did take 18 out and then scanned or impressed for periotrase. Um, and he did that because PerioProtect allows for greatly reducing the complex biofilm community, allowing for reduced inflammation and bleeding prior to removing the calculus. So he had the patient back um, for SRP after wearing the trays for two months. So they took out 18. They made his Perio trays. He wore them for two months, four times a day for 10 to 15 minutes. And within that two months of just doing those two things, extracting 18 and wearing the trays, he had a reduction in his A1C from 9.3 to 5.8. His average glucose levels went from 220 to 119. So at that point, Dr. Pranger felt safe proceeding with SRP and having the patient continue with tray wear twice a day afterward. At five weeks post-scaling, the patient presented with a generalized reduction in pocket depth and 14 sites of bleeding from what was before 100%. And at the 18-month mark, after continuing to wear the trays twice a day and staying on a three-month recall perio-maintenance visit, the patient's pocket depths ranged from generalized two to three millimeters with local fours and two bleeding sites, His A1C at the 18-month mark was 5.7. To me, that is a total win. And what a safe way to manage total health and two inflammatory conditions that are detrimental to one another. And like I said, I've seen my own anecdotal evidence in my diabetic patients over the years um, and have helped so many of them maintain health. And I get so excited about this stuff. You know, honestly, this is why we do what we do. Um, I just actually had a patient in Tuesday of this week, and I've been seeing him for many years. Um, and I think I've mentioned him on a previous podcast. He came to us because his cardiologist sent him to us after he had a heart attack and said, dude, let's get your mouth checked out. And his perio was out of control. I mean, he had, you know, some local nine to 10 millimeter pockets, just bleeding everywhere, really inflamed tissues. Um, we did salivary testing, we enlisted antibiotics, and we started with PerioProtect first um, just to get all of that down before we did our SRP. And he was just in this week. Um, he was the one who was saying, Hey, my A1C is currently seven and we're working to see if we can't get that down a little bit, but his oral health looks fantastic. And he's continuing to wear his trays at this point, he wears them once a day. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's really, really, you know, there's a weight on us to consider how we treat our patients because, I think it gets easy in the rush and the hustle of our days and the the limited time we have to be like, oh, this patient's diabetic and their A1C is high and they have active infection. Yep. That all makes sense. Let's just get them in, clean them up, do the, you know, do the SRP and see how they respond. But I think we have to take a step back and think about what that can do if their A1C is already really high. Because- by doing the SRP, you're disrupting all of that and all of the bleeding and all of that inflammation. I think the smarter way is to either incorporate salivary testing and treat with some antibiotics, which isn't my favorite, just for gut health, or checking out perio trays and starting with that first because that's going to not only treat the acute issue and in the initial therapy. But it then creates a long-term way for your patients to maintain that health and maintain that biofilm and keep that bacteria from setting up and, you know, creating infection, which is going to show up in their blood sugar. Right. Lastly, I want to wrap up with an idea for how we can build more collaborative and comprehensive care for our patients. So here is an idea um, that you might want to entertain. And and this might be something that you sit down and do with your doctor or your, your hygiene team. But I just think, I feel like we're very disconnected in this world between physicians and dentists, but also just physicians in general. And I can speak to this as I've been kind of chasing my own medical stuff for the last four years. And I've been to, you know, my primary care and I've been to my OBGYN and I've been to a neurologist and you know, then she wanted me to go to a cardiologist and I just feel like nobody's really communicating or talking or sharing. And I don't feel like we're all really looking at everything together. And obviously I feel like there's a, a kind of rat rift in the space between dentistry and healthcare, just, you know, but full body care. So I'm obviously looking to change that. Mm-hmm. So what about the thought of creating kind of like a form letter or a letter template that you can share with your patients' physicians to share your findings and communicate the treatment that you're doing, the outcomes that you're seeing, and obviously any concerns that you may have? I just think it's a really great way to build connections with your surrounding physicians, help educate um, you know them as far as the oral systemic connection goes. Because honestly, I'm not sure they're always fully aware, Um, and then hopefully build a rapport that creates future referrals and true collaboration. And it doesn't have to be anything complicated, Um, you know, something like who you are, you know, as a practice, how you practice, what you look for, you know, the assessments that you do, what you know about the oral systemic link and diabetes, and then have almost like a fill in the blank area for that patient info of like what you found, what your treatments are, what your, you know, results are. You know, if you're really looking to collaborate, maybe even, you know, on a day off running by and like dropping off, you know, a packet of, you know, who you are and, hey, you know, I'm I'm interested in looking for a great doctor to collaborate with and send patients to, you know, and especially if you do think about doing some in-office screening, that would be great because you're going to have a referral source if you see things that are looking out of balance or out of whack to say, hey, I'd, I'd love for you to go see Dr. Smith down the street. Um, because you know, there's, there's some levels here that I'm concerned about. So I think it's just taking it full circle and being as comprehensive as we can be. And I think when we do that, patients really do appreciate that they, they want to feel taken care of. And that's the whole reason that we're here. Yep.
1: hundred percent agree. Yep. And there's always, of course, like on the flip side, there's always going to be the patients who don't get it, don't want it, want their car wash cleaning. And that's okay too. It's just, maybe they aren't patients for our practice, but the ones that do want that comprehensive care, obviously the ones that we want too, you know?
0: Yeah. And I feel like, I think we shouldn't get scared off because you're right. We have those patients that are like, no, no, I'm just here for my cleaning. No, I don't want those x-rays. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost like in my head, I'm like, all right, game on challenge accepted. <laughs> I want to help this patient understand what's going on that this, you know, help them understand how all the pieces fit together because I feel like the patients that come in and say that, they don't really get it. They don't yeah, understand.
1: 100%. 100%. So, then, then it's up to them. Once right. you accept it and you educate them, then right. they can, you know, choose to be educated or choose to right. keep your head in the sand kind of thing. It depends yeah. on what
0: they are in their life. Yep. And I think just saying, hey, I'm, I'm not willing to compromise your health mm-hmm. um, or our practice or my licensure by not doing the right thing for you. Um, so how do we work together to really get you healthy, you know, and, and, and I think when you have those kind of patients, I think it's really digging deeper and asking a lot of questions as to what their resistance is. Mm -hmm. When you can get to the bottom of that, that's when you'll really connect with them. Yep. I agree. Any final thoughts on any of this, Brittany? My final thoughts are that this has been
1: a great review (laughs) and I learned something new earlier and I don't remember which fact it was, but it was one of the earlier on things i'm trying to look for but anyway i thought it was fantastic review i enjoyed researching for this and enjoyed hearing you talk about all
0: of it awesome well hopefully so did everyone else Um, (laughs) In that vein, uh, if you're already part of our mighty network, you know, give us a shout out, let us know what you're doing, what, you know, what's working for you in your practice when it comes to seeing diabetic patients and treating them. If you are not yet part of our mighty network, it's free to join, um, come, come join us. It's, uh, you just download mighty network on your app as an app. And then once you've downloaded that, just search Bulletproof Hygiene and come join us. It's a great way to collaborate, ask questions, and just really build community. And that's what we're here for. So thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we've loved having you. We look forward to next week. And go out and take care of your patients well. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye.